As we grow in our walk with the Lord, we begin to realize that, man, I'm doing this wrong. I need to repent of that. Do not make any mistake about it. Repentance is not a thing of days and weeks, a temporary penance to be got over as fast as possible. That's not what it is. When you really think about it, repentance is the grace of a lifetime, like faith itself. It's something that happens over your lifetime. Repentance is the inseparable companion of faith. Bible is like a magnifying glass that points out sins you otherwise wouldn't see. Unlike sin, which deceives and lies to you, the Word shows you the true condition of your heart. Sin causes you to compare yourself to others and elevate yourself above them, as you'll hear from Pastor Mark today. Nobody likes to see themselves as a sinner in need of help, but God has given the amazing gift of repentance. He's always ready to forgive when your sin is exposed. The closer you get to God, the more you'll become aware of your sin and want to confess it daily. Because a true life of freedom is found in forgiveness. Well, let's join Pastor Mark in the book of Nehemiah chapter 9 for today's edition of Come Alive. It's still the same. If you miss it, you miss it. Whether it's by an inch or a mile, you've missed it. It doesn't matter. Well, we've sinned. A little sin, you might say, well, you know, it was a little white lie. But the Bible says a lot about the lies, that Satan is the father of lies. So if we lie, who's our father? Kind of is what it's comparing us to, a little white lie. And so we have to be careful. Then there's the big sins. That, and you and I are the ones that put the degrees and the levels on the sin. There's murder. Oh, that's bad. The white lie, that's not so bad. But, you know, God says it's a sin. My son, whether you told a little white lie, died for you just as much as he died for the guy who committed the murder. See, it talks about the iniquities of their fathers. This is really important. And if you get nothing out of this today other than this, I want you to know this. The iniquity of the fathers was important because they had to admit that not only they were sinners, but they came from sinful ancestors. This was real important in Israel because there was this tradition of glorifying their forefathers. It was a very big deal, and it's still a very big deal over in the Middle East. This doesn't mean there is some type of generational curse. I want you to understand that. There is not a generational curse that had to be broken. That's not what this is talking about, breaking a generational curse. God, and I'll give you the verse that backs that up. It's in Ezekiel chapter 18. God does not punish the children for their father's sin. And it's evil to say that he does. We do recognize, though, let me say this, that those raised in an environment of sin may very well repeat those same sins. Why? Not because they have to. Not because God chooses for them to do that. But because their environment made it easy to make the choice to do so. Right? So, for example, I grew up in a household where my dad drank beer and he partied and had friends that drank beer and partied. 
And so it was very easy for me to come home, and I could come in drunk if I wanted to as a 16, 17-year-old, and he wouldn't say a whole lot. He would say, man, you need to be careful. You need to be careful. And then when I got older at 18 and 19, it wasn't uncommon for me and him to pop open a beer, and I just thought it was weird. Personally, for me, I just thought it was weird that I was drinking with my dad. It was easy. He knew I'd be like, hey, Dad, I'm going to go buy a case of beer. You need anything? He'd be like, yeah, get me one too. You got some money? No, you go ahead and pay for it. I paid for your whole life. Like, what? See, it was easy. If my son came at 18 and told me, hey, Dad, I'm I'm going to get a case of beer. You want anything from the grocery store? I'd be like, yeah, you know what? Just don't come over. I don't want you doing that. I don't want you doing it. Not that there's anything wrong with drinking beer. It's just I choose not to. I choose not to do that. I choose not to live that lifestyle. Because every time I hear somebody tell a story, it already starts off, well, I had a couple of beers, and usually those bad stories start with just a couple. It builds up. So the environment makes it easy. It's not a generational curse. It just makes it an easy choice to do so because, hey, mom and dad do it, I can do it. So they stood and they confessed. It shouldn't seem strange that after such a great victory, both with the building and the spirituality that was there, there was such a humble repentance. There was a repentance. This shows that repentance isn't something we finish after coming to Jesus. It's something that grows as we grow closer to Jesus. See, repentance grows as faith grows. As we grow in our walk with the Lord, we begin to realize that, man, I'm doing this wrong. I need to repent of that. Do not make any mistake about it. Repentance is not a thing of days and weeks, a temporary penance to be got over as fast as possible. That's not what it is. When you really think about it, repentance is the grace of a lifetime, like faith itself. It's something that happens over your lifetime. Repentance is the inseparable companion of faith. It's a partner with faith. If you have faith, you will you will begin to see that, man, you blew it in this area. Now, again, you know, some people will take what I say about alcohol and be like, oh, you know, he thinks it's just completely wrong. It's a sin. I've never said that. I just choose not to. I don't care if somebody else wants to. That's, that's between you and God. So that doesn't mean like as a Christian, if you like to have a beer once a week or maybe two or three times or one a day or whatever, that you open it up and you got to repent after drinking it. If you don't feel it's wrong, you don't have to repent. The Bible talks about being drunk as a sin. So it says be careful. So anything we do, it could be overeating. Gluttony is a sin, right? Let me say this. God will never plant the seed of his life upon the soil of a hard, unbroken spirit. Early on when I first got saved, I didn't think overeating was a big deal. Once I started reading those verses and got a little convicted, I was like, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty big deal. You know, there's other things. Calling someone a name. It doesn't have to be a cuss word, so to speak. It'd just be a bad thought. I'm sometimes convicted over my bad thoughts that I have. God will only plant that seed where the conviction of his spirit has brought brokenness, where the soil has been watered with tears of repentance as well as the tears of joy. So this is a great humble gathering that we see here in this chapter of God's people days after the end of a joyful celebration of the Feast of Tabernacles. So now it's starting to make sense. It's not that strange to see this. They had drawn close to God and now he's drawn even closer to them. 
And then it says, they stood up in their place and they read from the book of the law of the Lord, their God, for one-fourth of the day, and for another fourth they confessed and worshiped the Lord, their God. What'd they do? Well, they stood up in their place. They just stood up. And the humble repentance and confession of sin would have been incomplete, and it would have been hard for them to just sit and do nothing. I mean, true repentance causes you to change direction. And so they stood up. They worshiped God. They heard God's word. They worshiped. See, God doesn't just show you and me our sin just so we'll humbly confess it, but so we can walk on in the right direction. Walk on rightly before him to honor him and glorify him. That's what happens. How, you know, you and I as parents want our children to do the right thing. And the reason we want them to do the right thing is so, you know, when other people are around them, that they are at least respected on that level that, hey, they are polite. They are kind. My son has a lot of friends and they joke around and they play and I love it. And so there's a part where I have to look and say, that's play, that's fun. But then there's the other part where sometimes I'll talk to some of them. I'll say, hey, and they'll be like, yeah, whatever. And I'll be like, no, 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 wait, this is serious. So I'll give them another chance. This is serious. I want you to listen to me because I'm telling you, this is the way this goes. And some of those kids will say, yes, sir. I don't need to have sir at the end all the time, but they just need to listen and be respectful. And so it is my job as a parent to make sure my son is respectful. If he's not, I'm hoping somebody says, hey, your son wasn't respectful, and then he will be disciplined for and punished for his crime, whatever that crime may be. See, in light of the previous chapter, we may take it that the reading was just a mere stream of words, but it punctuated with some explanation and comments and application to the present situation. So they confess, they worship the Lord their God. This is the brokenness of the heart. It's led them to humbly come before God and hear his word. A sure first step, a great first step is brokenness of heart. When you sin, is your heart broken? See, the chapter rehearses not just the sins of God's chosen people, but worse, the sins of God's chosen people in the face of, well, his abundant mercy and grace. God gives us so much, and yet sometimes we take advantage. See, it's one thing to sin repeatedly if you don't know God. See, that's why we don't pick on the world for being sinners. But it's far worse to sin repeatedly when you've tasted of God's grace, when you've tasted and seen his love. The Bible tells us sin abounds and grace superabounds. Throughout this miraculous pilgrimage, they lacked nothing. They, they appreciated nothing as well. So they lacked nothing and they appreciated nothing. That's sin. And so it's easy to read this account of Israel's repeated sins in the face of God's abundant mercy and think, well, how could those Jews be so ungrateful? How could they be so hard-hearted? It's also easy to read this account and think, how can my husband or wife or my friend or my boss, how, how can they be so prone to sin? He or she reads the Bible, they go to church, where the Bible's preached, what's wrong with him or her? And thus we fail to apply it to ourselves. I'll say this all the time. Every time you hear a message and you think, oh, this is for so-and-so, you might want to stop and back up and go, Lord, what do you have for me in this? Because it's real easy when you point a finger. How many are pointing back at you? Three. We see the sins. We see our sins in other people. And it tends to make us a little crazy. So we fail to apply them to ourselves. We ought to read this chapter and realize that 
Well, we're really looking into a mirror. You know those mirrors? I was in a, what's that store, Bed Bath & Beyond. They have those mirrors, and they look like magnifying glasses. I mean, it's like I walked up, and I was like, man, I'm going to check and see if my hair's messed up. It's getting kind of long. And so I walk up, and I look, and my eyeball's like huge. I mean, I was like, whoa. So I start looking around, and I put my face up there, and I could see pores. I've never seen pores in my face. I was like, look at those things. Those are like craters. Gigantic. Then you move over and they got this thing, it's like a magnifying glass, you stick your hand underneath it and it's like this huge mitt. That's what the Bible should do. It should magnify those things and we should be like, man, I've never seen that before. Or we're looking into a mirror. It describes our propensity of my heart, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it prone to leave uh, the love of God. See, keep in mind this prayer of confession followed and flowed out of the extended reading of God's Word. Sometimes that happens. The more you read God's Word, the more you really begin to really examine yourself. The other day, I read something about God expects righteousness from the kings who he sets on his thrones. And I kind of read that, and I was like, and it just grabbed me. I've read it over and over. It was in Proverbs. And I read it a, a bunch of times in the previous months, and just the other morning, I looked at that and I said, you know, Lord, you, you did. You set me on an important throne as a dad, as a husband. That's a throne that I set, sit on. My wife sits on the throne as a mom and a wife, a friend. That's a great throne. And I started really looking at it and thinking about a king on a throne has certain responsibilities. And, and then if that's the case, then so do I as a friend, a pastor, a dad, a husband, whatever. I have certain responsibilities, and God expects righteousness from those people he sets on those thrones. Righteousness just means doing the right thing, not cheating, not, not trying to slide by, not trying to do as little as possible. The Word of God reveals to us the true condition of our heart. See, what sin does is it deceives us and it blinds us to our true condition. We're prone to compare ourselves to others, invariably to those who aren't quite as godly as we are. It's easy to look at someone and go, man, that guy's not that godly. He's doing this. He's doing that. We think, I'm not like other people. I'm not a swindler. I'm not unjust. I'm not an adulterer or even like that tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all I get. Kind of like that guy in Luke chapter 18. But the word of the Lord is living. God's word is living. It's active. It tells us it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And it's as piercing as far as the division of a soul and a spirit of both the joints and the marrow and able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. That's what God's word can do as you read it. Let me ask, are you reading it? Are you getting something from it? Or is it like, man, I got to do this? I met with somebody a few days ago, and they were talking. It was he and his son, and they were talking, and the son goes, you know, my dad forces me to read my Bible. And so I had to ask the dad to leave so me and the son could kind of talk openly about what's going on. He goes, yeah, he forces me to read the Bible. I was like, do you like it? No, not really. Why not? I I just don't get it. So when the dad came back in, I said, so uh, what's bothering you about this whole situation? Well, he doesn't do his devotionals. I'm like, he's 16. Don't force him to do it. He's a man, I think. He wants to be treated as a man. Don't force him. He ain't getting anything out of it anyway. I said, okay. Son kind of looked at me and was like, really? I was like, yeah, you're free to go. But before you leave, let me read you a couple of verses out of a Bible. 
And I read them, and I was like, do you understand those? And he's like, not really. I said, so let me explain these to you. The other day, I had given him my number, and yesterday morning I get a text, hey, Pastor Mark, I read some of those verses you told me. Just want you to know. See, sometimes when you're forced to do something you don't want to do, it's like, hey, he's big enough to choose. I tell my kids, hey, have you had your quiet time? They open their Bible and read. I'm never going to force them to have it. I'm like, hey, I'd like you to have it and learn something. Teach me. Read from it. There's going to come a point in time where they're going to be old enough to make their own choice, and God's going to hold them accountable at that end. We need to understand that God holds us accountable. God's Word can do amazing things, but you know what? The only people that miss out on that amazing stuff are those that, well, that don't do what God asks them to do. Everybody wants to see a miracle. Everybody wants to see God work. You know what? You'll see God work when you read his word, you apply it to your life, you do it, you can come home that day and be like, man, you're not going to believe what God did today. There was a story somebody was telling us at a grocery store this morning. He walked in, he loaded up on food. Went in and bought a 99 cent a pound of ham and walked out with like 50% of the grocery store in his grocery cart. I was like, man, you know, the Lord works in mysterious ways with you at that grocery store. When are you going next? Because I want to watch that. See, there is no creature hidden from God's sight, but in all things are open and laid bare to his eyes of him whom we have to do. The Bible lays bare the true condition of hearts before God. As we gain some knowledge of God, we will see how corrupt we are, and thus we begin to seek him even more for help. Man never achieves a very clear knowledge of himself unless he first looks into God's face. And why do we have to look into God's face? Because God is holy. You might be through in the middle of something that you're going through right now that's so big and so heavy, and God's like, hey, you know, I'm right here on the other end. It's no secret that Doug, if you guys know Doug, his father passed away this week, went home to be with the Lord. And he called and I said, man, you know, I hurt for you, buddy. But here's the great thing. Was your dad suffering? Yeah, a little. Well, then the Lord healed him and took him home. You know, Doug's dad will never cry again. He will never be depressed, upset. Heck, he won't even be mad at Doug ever again. And He's in heaven with the Lord, celebrating an awesome God. He's hanging out in heaven. And you know what the great thing is? There's going to be a reunion one day when Doug gets there. And Doug will hear, well done, my good and faithful servant from his Lord. There's your dad over there. Me and him have been hanging out for a little while, and it'll be great. God is an awesome God. And so sometimes as we read the Bible, we have to look at it and say, yeah, Lord, you are great. It doesn't always work out my way. But as soon as they encountered trials in the wilderness, the children of Israel, they wanted to go back to Egypt. They wanted to go back to bondage. Even so, though we've experienced God's salvation, even so, so do we. We're all prone to, when we encounter hardship, to think, if this is how God treats me, forget it. I was better off before I came to know him, before I came into this world of Christianity. I was better off for that. Look at verse 4, and we'll, we'll wrap it up. It says, Then Jeshua, Benai, Kadmiel, Shabaniah, Bunny, Sherebiah, Bani, and Chanani stood on the stairs of the Levites, and they cried out with a loud voice to the Lord their God. And the Levites 
and it names these guys again. And it mentions those Levites and the leaders here that are gathered to lead the people in humble confession. It shouldn't surprise you or me or make us feel like we're failures if we must be led into confession and repentance. Sometimes it just takes a simple word from someone like, dude, that's wrong. I've had people say that to me. Bro, that's wrong. You shouldn't say that. You shouldn't do that. I'm like, oh, man. And I just stop. I'm like, Lord, please forgive me. Eight of these guys did not pray the following prayer at the same time, I don't believe. I think they, it was written out. Maybe they took turns or one person read the prayer or said the prayer, and there was a scribe jotting it down. The following prayer, though, is thought to be, the, you know, like I said, the longest prayer in the Bible. Six and a half minutes, if you read through it, is all it takes. See, prayer doesn't need to be long to be glorious and effective. So this chapter does go on to describe the abundant blessings that God has provided for his people. But in spite of his goodness, they still became disobedient and rebelled against him. Just like you and I when we were kids. Our parents gave us abundant things, good blessings. And yet we still rebelled, some of us, and we did things against them. We broke the law behind their backs. And the same thing with the Jews. They killed his prophets who had admonished them. So God delivered them over to their oppressors, and when they cried out to them, guess what God does? He mercifully delivered them, and only for them again to do evil. See, this cycle is repeated many, many times as you read this, and you'll see this, but in spite of God's repeated and abundant compassion on me, the sinner that I am, prone to lust after the things of this world rather than to be satisfied with the supreme blessing of God himself, there's this paradox in the Christian life. The longer you walk with God, the more godly you become. That's true. But yet, the more godly you become, uh, the more you're aware of the terrible depravity that you really, that's in your own heart. You really do. It wasn't at the beginning of Paul's Christian life, but towards the end that he had said, Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners among whom I am foremost of all. He didn't say among whom I used to be. He still claimed to be. He still claimed to be. I am foremost of all. The closer that Paul walked with God and gazed upon his perfect righteousness, the more he was aware of his own sinfulness, even though in his daily walk he was growing in holiness. Even so, the more that you come to know God, the more that you come to know God in your own heart through his word, the more you're going to realize how prone to sin you really are. But that's not bad, because that allows us a time to stop and repent. This will keep us at the foot of the cross, trusting in God's free grace that, well, that'll lead to, in a couple of weeks, the next lesson, number two, that God is rich in mercy. Thanks for tuning in again today to Come Alive. Pastor Mark has been sharing insights and promises found in the book of Nehemiah, reminding you again of God's faithfulness and blessings that are still available to you today. We hope you'll continue to read through Nehemiah and see for yourself how God can touch your life. Is what you heard today about God new to you? Or are you questioning what being a follower of Jesus is all about? If so, today's a great day to begin a relationship that will bless your life and save you from your sins. We'd love to tell you more, so please get in contact with us. Here's Tracy to tell you how. Are you ready to meet Jesus and have your sins forgiven? We would be honored to be the ones to tell you about God's Son, who came to earth to pay the price for you and every person on earth. 
That price is death. But because Jesus died, you have the chance to live. Give us a call so we can tell you more. Our number is 281-391-5503. Thanks, Tracy. We're so excited to know that you're joining our family of faith. We'd love to meet you in person, too. So if you're in the Houston area, come visit us at Calvary Chapel Katy. We'll be able to tell you more and get you directions when you call us. That number again is 281-391-5503. We're so glad you joined us today, and we hope you'll tune in again to Come Alive.